Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Love Talk Radio. This is Master Griot Radio, channel 13 on your NBBTA internet radio dial. I'm Jacqueline Taylor Adams, and I am your host for this moment in time. It's time for purpose-driven words. Shaping thoughts, building minds, true wealth, communities, and legacies. If my words had wings, they'd fly to you each day. Hello, this is Beyond Talk with Faith Moore McKinney. And as we await our host arrival, um, we're going to just listen to, since we're talking about Bitcoin, Bitcoin, and blockchain, and finance and economics, we're going to listen to a little Tommy Bottoms. Basic economics. Lyrically, my game is nice. I can still rhyme without two minus to the back to five price. Might even do it twice. You see, I spit precise power, pulling paragraphs that are penetrated toward the land and make your mind expand. Make you understand that it's a very so hot between slinging rock and trading stock. Teach basic economics. Buy low and sell high. Your price determine what demand meets supply. See, most of us don't want to admit it or even hear it. But see, being a drug dealer is a pity with the entrepreneurial spirit. See, capitalism breeds capitalists. But this demand for a product is leads somebody going to supply it. So they got the right mind, it's the wrong grind. Because you really, even Eli Lilly sell drugs of all kinds. Been on the word about packing knives and tablets, phone lines. They got politics and public opinion on their side. See, the only way to survive in a society is to have a hustle mentality. As long as you work for your money, your money's not working for you, you'll forever be a slave. Bill Gates and I stack all that cake just sitting around waiting for a promotion to raise. And now I got the whole game on lock and ain't worried about prison time. So if you can flip a 60 into an ounce and an ounce into a kid, and it seems to be no reason to me. You can't exert that same amount of energy and learn the hustle downs on industrial. So you need to be fucking with that NASDAQ and need that cracking loaner. You can just invest in a duplex home and rent it to two different tenants and use the rent money to pay off the loan at half the time. Or you can continue to grind and hustle them drugs in the streets, but peace. Think about you got, about you keep. You see when that task for a sweet best believe they taking the cause, the remnants, the beats, the cast, the crib, and the platinum Jesus piece. End up getting sentenced to a ten piece and get released and try to look for peace, but you can't get you a piece, cause that felony on your record got you marked as a beast. You gotta go back to the streets, you can cop you a piece, so you can take you a piece, and that's why the streets don't see peace. That's one of the many business cycles of compromise and struggle, and I understand we can't all do it like Dr. Heaps of Hustle, so don't stop hustling, just change the hustle. See, America's designed for to get rich. 
There's a million of them ways for to get paid off in this bitch, and most of them is legit. Find the market you want to talk to the service and do a product, and your revenues might do expenses going to equal your profits. This is basic economics. As long as you have the haves, you will always have the have not. So it's up to you to decide whether or not you have me what you got. And if not, you got the concoct supply that's going to raise your stock. You're willing to hustle and grind from sunrise to sundrop. And believe me, ejaculation is the only thing that comes easy. And too many cats have played a lot of it. Things the stock market is too risky. And through all these young stick-up artists like to watch the drug dealers make it. You take it. You're really wasting your time. Your talent with a strong arm tactics. If it's just a little practice, you can fall in the footsteps. Some of these corporate execs like the slick cash from WorldCom and Enron. Robbing their own employees for their stocks, they bonds and retirement funds. And they have to come off a scheme, have to roll a duct tape, but not even a gun. And they still walked off with about three or four hundred million. And that's what Ice Cube was talking about when he said the bigger the cap, the bigger the pillage. Pin strokes and public opinions, the only thing that separates the good guys from the villains. And that's why the cops can make the blaha even when you just tell it. Now I know I speak form with a whole lot of crime, but it don't matter who said or how it's been said, it's still basic economics. Hello, 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 and welcome to Beyond Talk with Faith Moore McKinney. I'm so happy to be here. It's been months since we've been, but, uh, you know, we are back. I have my producer, Ms. Jacqueline Taylor-Adams. Not sure if she can join us or not, but ladies and gentlemen, we have an amazing show. Jacqueline Taylor-Adams, are you here? I hear some rumbling. No? Uh, okay. Sinclair Skinner is on it. Sinclair Skinner is our guest. Mr. Skinner, welcome, welcome, welcome. I've heard so much about you, and I'm so excited to bring you to our, uh, introduce you to our audience. How are you tonight? Great. Good. Great. Great. Well, Mr. Skinner, let's just jump right on into it because you have, I'm going to read a little bit of your bio. It's just a little bit because I know you've done so much more than this, but uh, since Sinclair Skinner, uh, an African-American, you're an engineer, a human rights activist, political advisor, serial entrepreneur, and former elected official in Washington, D.C. And here's the thing. You're in Bitcoin and blockchain technology evangelist and an advocate of the advancement of the African communities in relation to the African diaspora. And you hold a B.S. degree in mechanical engineering from Howard University, and you're a member of Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity. Is this all correct, Mr. Skinner? Yo, baby, yo. Yes, yes, I'm, all those things are true. <laughs> well, that is wonderful. You know, um, th- this this topic where you're talking about um, Bitcoin, and that's what we want to really get into, but really I want to make sure that our audience understands who who I'm speaking with tonight because you are a super deep brother and I want them to fully appreciate what you have to offer. Can you please just give us a little bit about, um, well, give us some of your background so that we can understand, you know, 
how this relates to your Bitcoin and BitMari. Well, I, you know, I don't. I'm just a humble servant, so I don't. I don't know about how how deep and how amazing, but I. But I think <laughs> what we try to do is uh, be a servant and, and be helpful to our people. Um, our our biggest thing for our company, BitMari, is our catchphrase is decolonize your life. And so we, we're, we're really about um, liberation and freedom and uh, you know, having help folks free themselves. And as we free ourselves, so, uh, you know, I started off in uh, engineering and uh, from there was, you know, was very engaged as an activist and got into politics because of the activism and then realized how, Politics is really not the, the most um, effective vehicle to make the changes that our community needs. And I think uh, going back to technology, uh, we can change the world faster, more efficiently, more effectively with tech, uh, more so than any other type of uh, uh, area of uh, people activity. Uh, I tell people, um, you look at uh, Uber or Lyft, where the you know one of the most humiliating times as a black man, it was trying to catch a cab, and mm-hmm. you stick your arm out and they just keep driving by. And we had always looked at these issues as a social psychology, sociology, political, race, all these things we tried to figure out how to solve that problem with. But when they came out with this app called Uber and Lyft, I don't have to argue with the taxi commissioner. All I got to do is call my cat and call my driver and they, they're downstairs. I can tell you how long it's going to take for them to get there. So in many ways, this technology rendered that racist, oppressive situation obsolete. Now, those taxi cab drivers still might be racist. Who knows? But I don't have to deal with that at that level because now I'm using something that's rendered their oppression obsolete. I don't have to be humiliated in front of my woman when I'm trying to catch a cab or wonder if I can make it to, the, to, to my flight because I can't catch a cab. So I, we say that technology uh, is much more efficient than calling Jesse Jackson or Al Sharpton. We can actually empower ourselves with, with the proper orientation with this technology to do things that can, uh, again, uh, alleviate the oppression that we face. And let's be clear that for people who uh, designed and developed uh, Uber and Lyft, did not have our oppression in mind. This is actually a byproduct of Uber and Lyft. This is not why they built it. So just imagine if we did more in developing solutions um, intentionally to solve many of these problems in our community. We think that um, not only would we come up with better solutions, but more sustainable solutions. So again, uh, we think the the next, uh, you know, freedom fighters, revolutionaries are going to come from a tech um, space, not the political space, from computer science, not political science. And um, I think uh, Bitcoin, blockchain technology uh, is a particular technology uh, used correctly or used with, a, with the issues that our community face in mind uh, can be very uh, useful and alleviate much of the depression that we face today. So can you please explain to, to our audience what the blockchain technology is and how it, how it relates to Bitcoin and BitMari? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think it's interesting because I, I don't want to make the conversation get um, to the point where it seems complex or doesn't seem relevant. You know, because oftentimes we're talking about we talk about using our cell phones or using the internet. Most people don't know the protocols that are involved in the internet or you know voice over IP. Most people don't know how these things work, but they use them every day. So I'm going to give an example and kind of talk about what Bitcoin and blockchain technology is. But I want to be clear that you know these are technologies just like when the internet came on the scene. It disrupted how people transacted and do, did business in so many ways. You know, there was a time we used to send each other letters in the mail. I mean, off, now when was the last time you sent a friend an actual letter, uh, maybe a gift card, your card you might send, but very rarely now do people do that. You know, you had to get a stamp, you had to get the zip code right, all the things that went behind. Now people just send emails. Now some people just send texts. So what we're noticing that in all these different areas, we're moving forward. Uh, you look at something like Polaroid pictures. You know, remember you used to take a picture and then you had to get it developed and then you see if it came out. Well, now right. you take a picture, take a picture, you say, hold on, and do it again. You tell right. the person, if it doesn't it's right look right. There, it don't look right. Now, there was you can know if it blinked or not. <laughs> right. There was a time when, you know, you had to wait. You had to get leave whatever that event was. Right. The next morning, take your roll of film in to a convenience to be to the store. Right. Right. <laughs> Drop it out. Fill out that little that envelope with the information on it. Hopefully, they got the two for one special going. And you hand these people your dreams and hopes that you just took a picture of. And then you wait. You know, you rush. You get to you know try to do twenty four hours or hours. Development. If not, you came back a couple of days, and then you realize a lot of your pictures just didn't come out. <laughs> you know, you know, don't be sitting outside. You know, so there was a time. You know, and we don't we act all brand new about it, but you know, those days was pretty. That was crazy. You know, right? And they so, were crazy. They were, and and just imagine how far we've come. And and so just think now we have this technology. But we still have to explain, you know, well, okay, this just does this. You know, so the the blockchain is just what yes. uh, is yes, what so, does it so do, I, basically. Yeah, so I'm 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 get I'm doing a bad job of getting there. So let me I was trying to take you on this <laughs> tour. I apologize. Let me hurry up and get there. Down memory uh, lane, that's okay. <laughs> right. But I, I'm trying to set the background. So now we don't have to do those things with pictures. We actually can take pictures and send them to each other instantly, and you can send them to your friends or post them on something. But in reality, the picture that you're sending is just data. It's just data. So at the end of the day, if it's a picture, if it's letters, this is all computer data. Well, Bitcoin is just data too. It's not a picture. It's encrypted data. And this data is what people are using now to buy things via the internet as well as being able to move money across great distances. You can send a picture to somebody in, in the UK. Now you can send actual money to somebody the same way. And you don't have to go to the Western Union, just like you don't have to go get your film developed anymore. You don't need a third party to process that data. Now this technology allows you to send 
money or value just like you can send a picture. And you can keep that value on your phone. Just like you keep the pictures, you can take, keep uh-huh. Bitcoin on your phone. We have a wallet product, uh, Bitmari, B-I-T-M-A-R-I. Mari means money in Shona, which is an indigenous language in Zimbabwe. And on uh-huh. our wallets, you can hold just your, your, your um, Bitcoin, just like you keep your uh, pictures in your little picture file. So this data has now created a world where that paper dollar that you've been, I mean, it's just as silly as the, 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 the pictures. You know, you walk around with a dollar bill and you hand it to somebody, this is a piece of paper. Now, this has been around for, you know, now hundreds of years, paper money. Just as much as we've moved forward in these other areas, we're mm-hmm. moving forward like that in, in the area of, of financial transactions. Even the credit card, which is a piece of plastic with a cassette strip on the back. If you think about it, that cassette strip, that black strip is a cassette strip that came from the 1940s and 50s. That's really mm-hmm. old technology. We don't even need a piece of plastic. It's all information. And our phones would do a good job with holding information. So in a real way, when we're talking about this, we're saying that now people have access to send money without using other devices and don't have to deal with losing money. And one of the things people ask, well, have they ever hacked a Bitcoin? Bitcoin has never been hacked. But there are companies that actually hold Bitcoins that have been hacked and people have taken their Bitcoins. But I tell people, when you're walking down the street and somebody hits you in the head and take your purse, you've been hacked. It's easy uh-huh. to hack you physically on your credit card. You've been physically hacked. They got you. So <laughs> it's easier to take your physical money than it is to take your encrypted uh, Bitcoin money. So in real ways, you say, question. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, uh, sorry, no, no, I have another question about, you know, the physical currency uh, versus the Bitcoin. Now, one of the things that's going on right now, for instance, in, in Puerto Rico, there is no electricity. And, you know, right now we have a lot of things going on in the world and, and you know, hurricanes and, you know, threat of nuclear war, all of these things. And if we don't have electricity, we don't really have currency. We don't have money. How How is there something that can either replace it or is there a way that, you know, we can, um, you know, make sure that we can have something if if such uh, an occurrence should, should happen? You know, if, we, if we're rendered uh, powerless, uh, no electricity, nothing, you know, how can we um, protect ourselves that way? Yes, okay, so that's a great question. So there's another thing when people talk about Bitcoin that's important. It's, it's this word called decentralization. So suppose Microsoft was in Puerto Rico with all their servers or Oracle or Google or, or any of these other companies. They had all their servers there, and they lost power because of this storm, and they got blown out you'd be in trouble because these centralized companies control all that data. So if that thing that you just described happened in Silicon Valley or some of these other places, you would be in trouble. But if you were using Bitcoin, you wouldn't be in trouble. Why? Because Bitcoin is a decentralized technology. It is not controlled by one company in one location. It actually, the power of Bitcoin 
is the fact that it's being processed by thousands and thousands of people all over the world, none of them in the same location, none of them connected to the same power source. So in reality, out of all the technologies you've used, this is one technology that doesn't depend on one fault or one person to failure and then it's over. It has thousands of people called miners. And these miners are the ones who are processing these transactions on what we call the blockchain. And when they're processing it, their reward for letting us use their computer, for doing all this work and it not being centralized in one place like a Microsoft, their reward for transacting these, these Bitcoin transactions is they receive a Bitcoin. So that's the, the genius of this technology is that it actually leverage, leverages people all over the world to use their computational power to, make, to process these transactions, and their reward is that they receive a Bitcoin. And that Bitcoin so then is traded anywhere in the world. Who decides who, who controls the, the, the exchanges of the, the Bitcoin? Like these, the miners, how do they get to be miners? And, um, you know, who decides who, who's going to be a miner? How, what's the qualifications for that? Great question. Is that, yeah, this, is that something that, that, yeah. that we should be concerned about? I think we should. Look, I question everything. I question everybody. So I look. I go to church questioning. I'm not. I'm that guy. So um, I think it's uh, important to understand that this is probably a new, uh, a different type of governance that you've seen in the Bitcoin space. The actual Bitcoin processing that I'm telling you about is basically like a, a protocol. There's actually a um, a written down open software system that anybody can download that says this is what is required in order to mine. These, this is how you process the algorithm. This is the algorithm. All that information is what they call open source. Let me say another way. Many, much, I used to work at the U.S. Patent Office. There are some software that's been patented and you don't know and it's copyrighted and you can't see the code. You don't know what and how they do it because they've said, I'm not going to show you. Well, the code that tells you how to process Bitcoin is open source. Anybody who has a computer can be a miner, okay? Anyone. Uh-huh. No, you don't have to be certain height. You don't have to be certain uh, race, color, wherever you are. The, the biggest issue, though, is the more powerful your processing power the faster you can process the transaction, and the way the protocol, the code is written, whoever processes the transactions first wins. Let me say another way. The win is what? They get a Bitcoin as a reward. There's a thing that they use in Bitcoin in mining called consensus. So the way people decide on who's the winner is through a thing called consensus. If your, your computer is processing this algorithm to solve this algorithm that, that solves, that processes these transactions, whoever does it first, by consensus through all the computers that are working on the blockchain, 
they determine that you did it first. They validate that, hey, you did everything that the code said to do, and you now have processed another block on the chains of blockchain, and you win a Bitcoin for it. So it's through consensus. So every person who's mining Bitcoin has the same information from that open source code. They have every transaction from the first one, which we call the Genesis block from the Bible, Genesis, to today. Mm-hmm. Every transaction that's ever been made in Bitcoin is on the blockchain, and everyone who's processing it has the same information. There's no super miners and little miners. No, all the miners have every block, and they can see every transaction that's ever been made. So through consensus, they'll say, you fulfilled first all the code requirements for this transaction, and now we have a new block. So that's the power behind Bitcoin. It is actually being powered by thousands and thousands of people who don't even know each other, who are pursuing trying to get to create a Bitcoin by processing. So they basically, um, Satoshi, which is the guy who was uh, uh, attributed to writing this original code, and they say it's a pseudonym, so that really may not be him, but they say it's a Japanese fellow who came up with the code. The incentive to to let someone use your power, use your computer, is that you get rewarded by a digital currency called Bitcoin. And the trick that's amazing about it, when it first happened, people didn't believe that people would really – spend that amount of time to get these digital tokens that weren't worth anything. So at first you could have a simple computer and people were able to process Bitcoin. The first uh, recorded Bitcoin transaction to buy something, they call it pizza day. They said a guy bought two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin. Let me say it another way. The guy also said, look, I'll give you 10. No, I want to buy some, um, pizza, but I want to use Bitcoin. How many Bitcoins do you want me to give you for you to have two pizzas sent to me? And the guy said, well, give me 10,000 Bitcoin. They sent him 10,000 Bitcoin, and the guy had two pizzas delivered to the guy, and that's the first trend. 10,000, which would be 10,000 times 4,000 in today's Bitcoin value. And that, at that time, Bitcoin wasn't even worth a penny. So my point is, wow. <laughs> what's really amazing about people is that folks were able to develop a level of uh, supply and demand where people were willing to pay this 4000 now, a Bitcoin, 3000 And remember, there's another space in these kind of like gaming industry where people were <laughs> using tokens already as money. Let me say it another way. There was already this Warcraft, all these like little – fun kitty adult games where inside these worlds there was currency that people had and people started trading that currency and like real life like okay I won this many things in the game I give them to you and you give me cash or if you look at the other other part of the world where people take uh, uh, phone minutes and trade phone minutes for cash so there's a host of different ways where people are trading data, phone data, gaming data for cash. This is one that particularly excelled in the thing called Bitcoin. And so, so for us I'm sorry. No, okay, so just as just as 
as as easily or or not as easily as Bitcoin became a currency, they established a value for it. Is it possible? Well, it, it, it's possible that it could be devalued, just like it just came from you know thin air. It could there could be no value to it. Um, what's what are the the um, what's the backup plan for that? Okay, so, so this is you know, we had a gold standard. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. So, so a couple things. Even when we talk about gold, you mm-hmm. know, if 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 we have a catastrophe like you just described, mm-hmm. and you had um, you had a million pounds of gold, and I had a million goats. So I got goats. And you got a million pounds of gold. Who's the richest person? Go for the, the goat. <laughs> you are. It's the guy with the goats. I win. You the guy with the goats. The guy with the right, gold. I wouldn't lose. Oh, you would but, lose. You can't eat them gold. That gold is that's just a right. rock. At the end of the day, we've got people tricked out psychologically over some rock. Gold exactly. is, is on the periodic is on the periodic table. It is an element. Silver, A U A G. All these things are just rocks. We had people go colonizing the world for rocks, killing their moms and other people for rocks. That's all they are. They have a certain metallic value, certain malleability. They're just rock. Through consensus, yeah. through us agreeing that gold is worth so much, we've decided that gold is worth so much. But gold can't help your mama out when she's sick. Gold gives us a rock. So what we've done, and I'm not trying to say, and it's the same way about our oppression. We normalize things and think that God or Jesus came up with it. But God didn't come up with gold and, Jesus and, 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 and silver, so he didn't come up with Bitcoin either. So, yes, in all these instances, the things that we think are valuable that have no real utility to our life, we could actually say, yeah, they could all become devalued. But what happens is there's a consensus. There's a group of people who are now saying, look, if you want to act like that Bitcoin ain't worth anything, just give it to me. <laughs> take right. it out of hand. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, yeah, it just might fall. Or, or people with these stocks they have. Oh, this stock is worth this much. Well, okay. It's, I'm not willing to pay that much for it. Now, how long is it gonna be? You're gonna walk around saying it's worth that much when you ain't got anybody willing to buy it for that much. My point is, it's still you know a level of economics one-on-one involved with supply and demand. And you're right. right. The, the value of Bitcoin goes down when there's more people who have it than the people who want to buy it, and when the price goes up when there's more people who want to buy it than there are the people that sell it. So at the end of the day, just like any other part of this macro economy where we're talking about commodities, coffee, gold, anything that's a commodity, you're right. It ultimately could come down to no longer being valued something. But with Bitcoin, just like with gold, there's a fixed amount of Bitcoin. You can't just make it like they make the dollar bill. Like if you ask the U.S. uh, Treasury how many dollars are in the world, like right now, they couldn't tell you. We don't know how many dollars out there, but we still say it's worth a dollar. Well, how is it Correct. worth a dollar if you keep making them like that? Well, because I said so. Not through consensus. Well, through consensus. Because there's nothing inherent. It's just because the government said it's so. It's worth a dollar. But there's people with other currencies in other countries where the government said, tried to say this is worth a certain amount, and the people don't believe them. And they create black markets. 
So it's really right. a psychological thing that has allowed the dollar to be successful in gun, gunboat diplomacy. Of course, we, we kill people at a large scale, and if you don't do what we say, we will bomb you. So your, your currency, and just think about it, if I'm bombing you, what do you think is happening to you? The value of your currency is going down. Well, okay? Yeah. And the value of my currency pretty is going good. Down. Right. Those so goats look pretty good right now. Right, right. You know, those goats. <laughs> so in a real way, Bitcoin <laughs> takes something that we do already and has made it in a digital platform that can now connect people anywhere in the world without having a bank account, without going through Visa, MasterCard, PayPal. Now I can directly mm-hmm. transact with you with no one else in between. So for us, decolonizing the world, these banks made their money how? by raping and killing and stealing our people. You go to mm-hmm. Barclays, you go to any big standard bank. These banks made their money not from being super smart. They did some bad things. So if you try to do what Barclays did to, today to be a bank, you'd be committing crimes against humanity. So we're not trying to outbank the banks. We're, we're going to work with whomever is willing to work with the technology. But Africa has the highest remittance fees than any con- continent in the world. It costs more to send money to Africa than it is any other continent in the world. And it has nothing to do with technology. Again, our catchphrase at BitMari is decolonize your life. Our fundamental understanding of colonization is that the colonizer, one colonizing, has never been willing to pay a fair price for what he wanted. Never. He never was willing to compensate everyone in the value chain. So right now in Africa, you still have the same thing going on where like Western unions and MoneyGram exploit the fact they have a duopoly and they are willing to charge people incredibly high rates by preying on their circumstances and they're not held accountable. Well, we're not going to protest these people with Jesse Jackson. We're going to do just like Uber and we're going to render that level of oppression and exploitation obsolete by using technology like blockchain. So you're saying that we can send money to people who live in Africa uh, through Bitcoin or BitMari for the cost of the transaction? Yes. Yeah, so which is well, which without, will be less than? Yeah. So, so the the, tra- the transaction fee of Bitcoin are almost free, almost instant. Almost, I say that they are very small, small microcharges. But compared to 10% of a dollar is what they're charging for Western Union and MoneyGram. We're offering 5%. So we're using the technology that allows you to transact in a very low and very fast, transparent way. And we have an indigenous bank partner called AgriBank that will will pay you out in cash for the Bitcoin I, I send you. Because right now in many places, you can't use the Bitcoin itself for an exchange of value. We've got a partner in Zimbabwe, which is our first country, but not our last. We're going to be spreading throughout the African diaspora with your help and support. We're going to get additional bank partners that work locally to make sure that people can use this technology and get cash in hand. All right. I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to Beyond Talk with Faith Moore McKinney. If you want to call in, Please do call in at 646-716-7994. That is, again, 
7994 and hit pound if you want to uh, ask a question. We have Sinclair Skinner on. He is a very accomplished young man, and we are learning all about his company, BitMari, um, and Bitcoin. We're learning a lot about currency and, and what's going on in the uh, in Africa. And, you know, what I want to talk more about right now is how can we, as uh, African-Americans, how can we play this game? How can we get into uh, the Bitcoin um, world and BitMari, and how can we use it to advance ourselves? Uh, I think the best thing to do is, you know, to get our, our people involved more in the technology in the first place. The Bitcoin, Bitcoin protocol uh, and code is written in C++. So in real ways, we need to be makers, not just users. Everything I just talked to you about was the utility of the blockchain and Bitcoin. But that's not enough. We need to be the ones deciding how this technology can be used to be helpful. Like I told you, Uber was developed by folks that weren't even thinking about black liberation or the racism in America. And as a byproduct of their technology, we were able to benefit from that innovation. I say in the case of what we're doing in Bitcoin, at Bitmari, that we need more of our people coding and developing in this space so that we can figure out ways to use it. I go to conferences, Bitcoin conferences, all the time. And at these conferences, they're, they're really not engaging the issues that face us the most. And that's not because they're, they're racist. It's because they're dealing with issues that interest them the most. We need to make sure that we're at the table or that we create a table ourselves that solves issues that matter to us. So Absolutely. in real ways, I think the way we get involved is not – and I hear people all the time talking about speculating. They, they don't buy this. But of course you should buy some Bitcoin. Of course you should buy some Bitcoin. Of course. But that's not enough if we're going to actually take control over our own lives and get some true sovereignty and, and self-determination. We need to be able to be makers of this technology. And everybody may not be, but we definitely need more of our brothers and sisters doing that. And we have a, a bus tour called I Love Black People, where we're going to different cities and visiting historically black colleges. And we're recruiting students and teaching people about this technology in the hopes we're encouraging more young people to take up coding in the blockchain uh, uh, arena, as well as use uh, Bitcoin and the blockchain to solve their problems. We have a hackathon that they can sign up for, and we're going to be giving away Bitcoin as prizes so that we can use the best and brightest minds to come up with solutions to solve the financial and humanitarian crises that we find in our community. So when next time uh, uh, one of our cities gets hit or Haiti or, or Sierra Leone, we can use the blockchain instead of Red Cross to send aid to those who need it most. We don't need a third party controlling our transactions anymore. We are very sophisticated and knowledgeable. The days when we need these surrogates to, to operate on our behalf are, are just played out. We don't need them anymore. We can do it ourselves, but the, and there's technology that can help us. 
So those who are able to develop that technology, I encourage them to get involved with the blockchain. Those who can't but have real problems they're trying to solve, you know, I would uh, hope that they would look at at the blockchain and Bitcoin and see how it can be used to to resolve and solve some of the serious problems that we face. Has there are there any cities here in in the states who are um, a little more progressive in adopting the Bitcoin and the Bitmari um, in the African American community? Is there is there a certain uh, is there a certain community that is adopting or early adopting it uh, right well, there's, now? There's, there's people all over that use Bitcoin. You know, it's it depends on what type of stuff that you're into. So there's ATMs and there's people using Bitcoin to move already. You know, back in the early days, people were using Bitcoin for uh, drug tra- trade on the on the dark web, and a lot of people heard about it through some of these nefarious activities. But there's people now using it for all kinds of reasons and, and use cases in our community. So I think what what has to happen is not just using Bitcoin but actually being involved in developing Bitcoin and developing the technology. And there's people with ICOs, other alternative coins. But again, I say that it's not about, you know, it's definitely about using it instead of using Visa, MasterCard, or using the same bank institutions that uh, redlined and, and disrespected us. Of course, I think we should use alternatives, but also we should be makers, developing the code and changing the future before it gets here. Wow, that is a mouthful. Uh, I want to remind everyone you're listening again to Beyond Talk with Faith Moore McKinney, our guest, Mr. Sinclair Skinner. He's given us a a lesson in really economics, but more so the future, what the future of, of currency is, um, Bitcoin, and how it can help to decolonize uh, our lives. Uh, especially African Americans, you know, we are uh, have certainly been uh, really disenfranchised uh, economically. But with the B- Bitcoin, it will take away some of the barriers that we, a lot of the barriers that we've been facing uh, for these hundreds of years. And so, Mr. Mr. Skinner, please. Tell us how the um, – I know you went to Howard. How are the HBCUs embracing um, your BitMari and, and the Bitcoin? Well, we we definitely uh, – this is our first bus tour. I love black people bus tour. You can go to iloveblackpeople.com to be on our host committee, and we're going to mm-hmm. go to several cities. You can check it check it out, people coming to your city. Um our, because our, our startup is, is the main sponsor, what we, we thought was the biggest thing we needed to do as we were launching our services was to educate our people. So we came up with like a cause marketing model where we think the biggest cause that we need to fight for is our black community. So that's why we came up with I Love Black People. And with this tour, we're focused on supporting black businesses, uh, black technology, startups, as well as black banks. And really talking to our people about self-determination and how that we can leverage technology to do things that politics and, and militarism and elections can't do. So in a real way, uh, the HBCUs are the starting grounds where we identify and we are identifying students 
who are interested in the technology we're willing to develop. And we're going to be recruiting them. We're actually going to be hiring uh, interns to hopefully turn into uh, long-term employees. So in a real way, what we're trying to do is uh, to spark that interest and see what type of return is at the HBCU. But we think at our company, we, we say that we don't. We want two things. We want technical competency and cultural competency, and we don't want to sacrifice either one. Cultural competency, so our people who are working for us understand why and what we're doing and how to do it, and we need technical competency so that we can actually make that thing possible. So those are the two things, and we think things that historically uh, black colleges are like that. We're also looking for uh, international students students from the continent, students from the Caribbean, because, again, we need those brilliant minds coming up with ways to, to link our people. And my co-founder is a Mr. Christopher Mopendera, and he's an indigenous African who went to Howard also. And we're one of the few African-American, indigenous African co-founding startups that you'll see in Bitcoin or any other place. And we think that's unfortunate. We need to do more collaborations with our brothers and sisters. As African-Americans, you know, the last uh, few years, we've been spending over a trillion dollars. And that trillion dollars would make us probably like the eighth largest co- country in buying power. But it means nothing when we don't have uh, our own businesses to spend that money on. And we, don't, and we think by linking with Africans, indigenous African people who have businesses, who have land and control, we could come together and build something super amazing because we have access to markets and, and we have access to capital as African-Americans. And in, in Zimbabwe, $3,000 goes a long way. You can invest into a farm and really get a return within nine months that you can never get using $3,000 any other way on the, in the States. So what we, we're doing is using technology in a way that makes many things possible that have been very difficult to do prior to the advent of the blockchain technology. That's great. I want to remind our listeners, please call in 646-716-7994 and press 1 if you want to uh, ask a question of our guest, Mr. Uh, Sinclair Skinner, and uh, 646-716-7994. Press 1. So you you mentioned about cultural competency um, that you would, you want for your um, interns. Can you please explain what you mean by cultural competency? Because you know someone who is listening may say, hey, you know, I, I I have all the technical skills, but you know, what is the cultural competency that you're looking for? Well, again, you know, there's a lot of things that we discuss. Uh, I say about decolonizing your life as part of our mantra or you know, a catchphrase. Well, orientation culturally is to understand what did Africa look like before it was colonized, having an appreciation culturally of who we are and what our people have gone through, and then figuring out how you're going to get them out of that situation. It takes a cultural context. You just can't walk in a room and say, well, these people are poor over here. Well, how did they get that way? It's a cultural understanding of how and, and how do you solve that problem in a way that they'll be willing to accept it. There's certain things that culturally you, you shouldn't do in certain environments. Well, we need people who have an appreciation for those things and appreciation 
of how we can deconstruct the circumstances that our people are going through using that kind of methodology. And we think the tool to use it is the technical competency to, to actually uh, 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 allow the cultural competency to be utilized in its best way. They need to so, be leveraged by each other. Yes, leverage. Um, that is, uh, you know, when you're, when you're speaking about our young people now, especially our millennials, uh, who are, you know, we, we've kind of sheltered them to, to some extent. I think right now in this political climate they're seeing, um, you know, the real, what the real America is about, you know, what's really going on, what we've been talking about and, and uh, fighting against in the, back in the 60s. But how do you explain or how can Coin Bitmari, um for the people who live here in America, what is your vision um, for 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 us? I know we we do want to connect to our our African heritage, um, but you know, yeah, we can we can overcome a lot of lot of hurdles. But what is your vision? You know, your, your ultimate vision for uh, the use of Bitmari. Yeah, again, it's, a, it's about liberation. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I've been to almost probably 50 countries in the world. And every time I go somewhere, the people that look like me be at the bottom. And I'm trying to figure out how the heck did we get at the bottom? How do we get from being at the bottom? I think one of the ways is that we're dealing with a financial system that's very predatorial. And it, it, it restricts and it, and it creates a lot of friction for us to do, to do business and transactions with each other. And I think, um, like I said to you, when you're talking about things like fees as high as 10 15%, 20% in some cases to move money, that's a real severe tax, a tax on being black or a tax on being from a developing country. And I think that's unfair. And I think if those people who are being treated that way have a level of financial liberation that technology can bring, then you end up being in a situation where, you can actually do more to help them than any other thing because they'll end up helping themselves if they had the resources and the technology at their disposal. So in a real way, I think what we are doing is to, to try to give every person the opportunity to live up to their highest expectations and eliminate some of the barriers in the financial sector that prohibits that. I don't think the world is best served where just a few people have access to all the resources at the detriment of the masses. Uh, Hugo Chavez, of course, he was murdered, uh, uh, gave uh, President Obama a book called Open Veins of Latin America. And in that book, it talks about how Europeans had underdeveloped South America. And he, he gave an analogy of a horse. He said, the most powerful and useful part of a horse's body is his back. And that's why we use it for a beast of burden, because the highest utility of a horse is his back. He's loaded up with a bunch of things. But, but the highest utility of a human being is their brain. Mm-hmm. So when you relegate a human being to a beast of burden, something that's being used to dig um, gold mines or dig uh, for cotton and all these other things, you, what you've done is just eliminated the most useful part of his body, which is not his, you know, back and his arms, but it's his brain. 
So I think if we can figure out ways to use technology, free people from the, the bondage of this society that's been created in a neo-colonial way, that these folks will come up with better ideas than the people who are currently doing all the thinking. And they'll come up with better ways that are not toxic to, to serve out, you know, humanity. And I think, again, that's going to make it better for not just African people, but every people, if we give everybody the opportunity to be who they're supposed to be. That is, that's, <laughs> man, I'm blown away by just the concept. I, I, I was just sitting here thinking, like, wow, this is truly a way for everyone. It does level the playing field for everyone um, to to participate in in not only the American dream but the the dream for of our forefathers. So I know we've we've talked about why, but now I know we've got just a few minutes, and this is just the first part of a, a two part series. Everyone, this is we're going to continue the conversation, but in the next few minutes, can you give us a how? How do we begin to participate in this Bitcoin, Bitmari? Um, Bitcoin business. What's our first step? What do we do? So the first thing you do is download our wallet. And you go to uh, Android or the Apple Store, you can download our wallet, B-I-T-M-A-R-I.com. Using our wallet, you can then uh, buy Bitcoin so you can start transacting. And I tell people, don't, don't put all your money in anything. But just put some, and then from there, start using it. We tell businesses, start accepting Bitcoin. And Bitcoin, there's no chargeback. I have a good friend who had a, a, has a company that does uh, um, live streaming of concerts. After people download and buy the stream, uh, the next day, they call their credit card and say, oh, my son, or somebody did something with my credit card, and they lose the, the money that he, and he can't get it back because it was a, a live stream. There's some utility of Bitcoin for businesses. You get your money almost instantly. You don't have to wait for Amex to process your money and take their fees out. So we think there's some way, use cases right now for Bitcoin if we get our people starting to think about it. Like, how can I use this to make my life better? So I think that's a part of it, is experimenting and looking at some problems you currently have and looking at Bitcoin as a solution. You can do that by downloading our wallet. Now you have something that you can use. And that's in the, if you're a small business person with a business online, if you're someone who's a vendor, these are all ways that you can start encouraging your customers and people, hey, look, you know, I'd rather you pay me in Bitcoin. So wow. I think that's the, the fir- first place. And then when you're traveling, you know, traveling with Bitcoin, there's no U.S. Bitcoin, Chinese Bitcoin, or Zimbabwe Bitcoin. There's only one Bitcoin. So, again, um, uh, this is something that becomes an international currency where people used to talk about a United States of Africa, uh, Muammar Gaddafi had talked about. Well, oftentimes those conversations are political. Well, we say let's not have a political conversation of whose currency you're going to use. Let's just use whatever works best, that's most efficient, most cost-effective, not whose name on it or whatever it is but actually the utility of it. So in a real way, 
We think all of these things can be used, you know, in a way that's helpful. We're looking at some opportunities in, in places, like you said, that have been damaged by uh, um, uh, storms and, and catastrophes. How do we get them something that's, that they can hold on to when, you know, the banks have been washed away? If you have Bitcoin, you're open for business. As long as you, like you said, as long as you got some type of power, you got access to it. They can wash the bank away, and you still have your Bitcoin. You know, so, so they can rob the bank, many, and you still got your Bitcoin. You got that. So how many how many businesses are operating are accepting Bitcoin? Are there any big box stores, or or is it just is it small over, mom and over, pop? Over, yeah, Overstock.com, Expedia.com. Uh, I think Microsoft either is or was still accepting Bitcoin. Uh, there are more and more companies, and there even are companies that have gift cards. So my wife, she used Bitcoin uh, by purchasing an Amazon gift card. So there's a host of ways that you can use Bitcoin right now. So you can purchase physical products, uh, but they have to Excellent. be online right now, correct? No, no. You can. There's people at bars and restaurants that take Bitcoin. Okay, I'm okay. Yeah, that's DC. what I'm asking. They're, so you can go to yeah, this, like yeah. Walmart. They don't have Bitcoin yet, but they're coming. But the stores, it... yeah, the stores. Like I bought a SUV with Bitcoin. I bought a, wow. a truck. I, look, I was in the United States. I bought a truck from Japan to be delivered in Zimbabwe using Bitcoin. Wow. Now, I'm just trying, I'm trying, trying to do that with a, with, a, <laughs> with a checkbook. Try to use a checkbook. Write a check like that. <laughs> See how, how that goes. That, <laughs> won't, that, that won't go in Japan. <laughs> that won't that fly. I'm telling you right now, that's all bad to do it with a checkbook. <laughs> so I'm saying, you yeah. know. The te- technology out here, when we leverage it the right way, can do some super amazing things with the right orientation, and we got to do both. Yeah, I think you just said the the key word is is leverage, and and we have to learn as a people how to leverage all the technology, the the physical currency, and um, you know our uh, greatest asset, our brains. How do we we need to leverage all of those things? Uh, in order to, uh, you know, in order to grow as a people. So we only have a couple more minutes left in this hour. Uh, Mr. Skinner, is there anything that you want to to uh, wrap this up with or, you know, would you like our audience to know, uh, you know, going forward? Well, I, I think, yeah, I think the big thing is we have a, a bus tour that's going to be hitting key cities like Dallas, uh, Houston, uh, Atlanta, Baltimore, uh, Nashville. If you're interested in learning more about the work we're doing in Africa, the work we're doing with Bitcoin, the work we're doing with uh, our people at HBCU, you can go to iloveblackpeople.com. Um, you can follow Bitmari, B-I-T-M-A-R-I, on Facebook. Uh, we're on Twitter, uh, Bitmari underscore. So there's a host of ways to reach us. And uh, ultimately, we're going to have opportunities where, uh, as we build out our project, ways that you can actually uh, participate in some of the work we're doing. So please uh, reach out to us and, 
We'll, we'll make it happen. Decolonize your life. That's what you're asking everyone to do. If we do that, we'll be free. All right. Decolonize your life, everyone. I want to thank our guest, Mr. Sinclair Skinner, and we will have another hour with him in a couple more weeks. But in the meantime, please go ahead, download uh, the Bitmari app, and check him out, ilovebladpeople.com. And uh, Bitmari underscore, is that on Twitter? Yeah, on Twitter, yeah. On Twitter. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Beyond Talk with Faith Moore McKinney, this has been an exciting, um, very, very enlightening hour. And we are going to do it again in two weeks. But please, check out Bitmari um, and check out the, uh, the uh, tour. So I'm Faith Moore McKinney, and for Jacqueline Taylor Adams and Mr. Sinclair Skinner, have a wonderful night, and we'll check you out next time. Good night. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.